This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. And may your eyes be fixed on Christ this year. I wonder what you made of that passage. Uh, to be honest, it is a particularly challenging passage to preach on because it comes uh, right in the middle of a section. And if you just read it on its own, you're not sure what happened in the beginning. And it's not a story that uh, finds its climax either. The, the conclusion is still yet to come. So we are here right smack in the middle. What's happening? So that's one of the challenges of teaching this passage the other challenge is I got to prepare it well in the midst of New Year celebration as well. Uh, so it's uh, fitting that we look to God and ask Him that He help us. Let's pray together. Father, we trust that this is Your Word appointed for each one of us to hear and to meditate upon this day. And so, Father, as You have appointed this Word. We trust that you, by your Spirit, will teach us, renew our minds, and conform us into the likeness of Christ, even through this word. So please work in us your great work. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to spend some time uh, helping those of us who might not have been following through this series with us uh, have some bearing on what is happening. And for even those of us who have been through this series, we might have forgotten how the book of Samuel began. And I'm not talking about 2 Samuel, because 1 and 2 Samuel is actually one book. How did 1 Samuel begin? Because it's actually one book, and how does the writer start us off? So you might remember that Hannah is childless, and then God, in his kindness, gives her a son. And she prays to God, and in her prayer, captures for us a theme that the writer of Samuel consistently uses throughout his book. Uh, let me read from 1 Samuel chapter 2, in verse 4, Hannah's prayer. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who are stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. So Hannah in her prayer speaks about how God works, how God has worked in her life, how God has reversed her fortunes. She who was barren now has children. And in uh, relating, uh, praying to God, she relates how God is pleased to work this way. This is the way God works. That he often does a reversal. Those who are full, now they are hungry. Those who were hungry, now they are full. Those who are mighty, now they are brought low. Those who are low, now they are exalted. And so that theme of reversal is a theme that we see consistently in the book of uh, Samuel and in the life of David. Because David was this humble shepherd boy, but in God's kindness, he is exalted. Exalted until he is king of Israel. But David, at that high point of his life, he forgets about God. 
and commits that sin with Bathsheba. Uh, you might remember uh, he was walking on the palace and he sees that woman bathing and he wants her. He says, ah, this woman. And he commits adultery, but it doesn't stop at adultery because to cover up his sin, he commits murder. And God, through the prophet Nathan, confronts David. And even though David is forgiven, uh, through the prophet Nathan, he is given uh, the consequences of his sin. That the sword will never depart from his house, that uh, he slept with one man's wife in secret, but someone will sleep with his wives in broad daylight. And then the son that is born to Bathsheba, he will die. And over the next few chapters, we see these consequences being fulfilled. God fulfilling his word of judgment on David. And so we see Amnon, David's uh, eldest son, having this sinister lust on his half-sister Tamar and hatches a plan to sleep with her. And even though David finds out about it, David does nothing. And we have to ask, why? Why did David not do anything? Why did he not protect Tamar? Why did he not punish Amnon? And I think the conclusion of the, the flow of this story is that David must have been burdened by his own guilt. That he felt he did not have that moral authority to punish Amnon for his lust, for what he did in raping his sister Tamar. And so Tamar's brother, uh, Absalom, takes things into his own hands and he hatches a plan to kill Amnon. And so he, Absalom must have thought, I will make a far better king than my father David. And so over the course of time, he gathers people around him. He waits at the gate of uh, Jerusalem. And as people are coming, wanting to see the king and ask for advice, ask for judgment, he stops them and he goes, wow, you, you want to see the king? Well, let me tell you, between you and him, there's 12 layers. There's all this bureaucracy. I don't think you'll be able to see him. But never mind, no, you, you, you tell me, you know, I'm the king's son. And then, you know, Absalom, he practices active listening. He sits down and he, you know, leans, you know, his body language, he leans towards the person. Maybe he places his hand on the person, you know, to show that empathy. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I were king, I would give this judgment in your favor. And so by doing that over four years, Absalom wins the hearts of the people in Israel. And David is told, that this has happened and David flees. So that king who was once high is on his way down, being brought low. And Absalom goes and takes over the palace. And uh, Ahithophel, uh, you saw his name mentioned them. Ahithophel was once David's trusted counselor. But now he has gone over to Absalom's side. And Ahithophel, uh, look with me to... Chapter 16 of 2 Samuel. And this is something that we must understand about Ahithophel. So the end of uh, chapter 16, verse 23. Now in those days, the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. So do you see what scripture is telling us about this counselor, Ahithophel? Listening to him, going to him for advice was like reading the word of God. 
That was how powerful Ahithophel's advice was. And Ahithophel, having gone over to Absalom's side, gave Absalom the advice. Sleep with your father's concubines. And that was a way of showing all Israel that he has now become king, that he has now taken over his father's place as king. And so they erect a tent on the palace, roof of the palace, Ironically, the very same place that David was when he committed the sin, when he saw Bathsheba and lusted after her. At the very same place, his son Absalom sleeps with his concubines. And so we are at the point of that story, and Ahithophel is continuing to give advice to Absalom. And this is where we pick the story up. So what advice does Ahithophel continue to give Absalom? He says, I would choose 12,000 men and set out tonight in pursuit of David. I would attack them while he is weary and weak. I would strike him with terror and then all the people with him will flee. I would strike down only the king and bring all the people back to you. The death of the man you seek will mean the return of all. All the people will be unharmed. Now, if you were Absalom and you hear Ahithophel's advice, what would you hear? Well, that's why I've put in our outline uh, an English proverb. Strike while the iron is hot. Because essentially, that was Ahithophel's advice. He's weary, he's tired, he's running away. Strike while the iron is hot. Quickly, uh, raise up uh, a quick army. You know, 12,000, for them it's considered small. Pursue David, and while he is uh, tired, while he is, you know, still, you know, um, without any plans, attack him then. Now, that would be something that Absalom would hear. The other thing that Absalom would hear would be all the eyes, eyes, eyes. Because Ahithophel does not involve Absalom in the plan at all. All he's saying is, I will do this, I will do this, I will go after him, I will attack him, I will strike down only the king. Now Ahithophel clearly wants to protect Absalom, and clearly Ahithophel trusts in his own uh, military uh, prowess. But there could be another reason why Ahithophel uh, has this plan of why I, I, I will do this. And what is uh, Ahithophel planning to do? He's planning at targeting only the king. Target one person. That was the strategy. Now, does it sound familiar? This strategy of targeting one person. Having a plan to target one person. I see my auntie nodding her head. Who are you thinking of? Does it sound familiar? Saul targeting David? Yeah, possibly. But because this is uh, David's narrative, it actually reminds us of David targeting Uriah. David hatched a plan of targeting one man. Yes, you know, send everyone to the front, make sure Uriah is in front, but then blow the horn that only you know Uriah would not understand. Everyone will retreat and Uriah will get killed and thereby cover up his sin with Bathsheba. So, there is some evidence that Ahithophel 
and it's actually Bathsheba's grandfather. Because uh, Bathsheba's father is Eliam, and later we are told that Ahithophel's son is Eliam. Now all of this hinges, of course, on how common or uncommon uh, the name Eliam is. But let's say that Ahithophel is Bathsheba's grandfather. And so his plan of pursuing David, of taking David down, is targeting one man. It seems to make sense that he wants revenge on what David did to Uriah. Now what do you make of Ahithophel's advice? Remember, Ahithophel is someone, a, you know, a counsellor to whom, if you consult, it's like reading the word of God. Now do you think it's good advice? What Ahithophel gave, you know, strike while the iron is hot, pursue him while he's tired and get target only one man. And then the rest of uh, David's mighty men, when they know that, oh, the king has fallen, they would follow Absalom. Is it good advice? Well, in, in preparation for this, you know, I, I read books, I listened to sermons and people say, well, you know, I'm not a military commander, but you know, when I when I read this biography of this military commander, they said, you know, oh, you know, this is this advice, and it seems to fit what Ahithophel is saying. Well, we don't need to turn to uh, modern day military commanders to know whether Ahithophel's advice is good or not, because Scripture tells us. You look there in verse fourteen. For the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel. So scripture already tells us that Ahithophel's advice is good advice. But because David had prayed when he found out that Ahithophel had gone over to Absalom, Lord, please frustrate the advice of Ahithophel. God in his kindness is answering that prayer. And so Absalom, instead of just listening to Ahithophel's advice, in verse 5, he calls Hushai. Now, Hushai is um, on David's side. And Hushai wanted to follow David when he was running out of Jerusalem. But David said to him, no, no, you stay there and you go and pretend to be on Absalom's side. So that when he asks you for advice, you can seek to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel. And so in God's plan, Hushai is called. And Hushai uh, appears in verse 5. Uh, Absalom says, summon also Hushai. And then verse 6, Hushai came to him. And then Absalom says, Ahithophel has given this advice. So you imagine yourself in Hushai's shoes. You are summoned. And right on the spot, you are told what advice Ahithophel gave. And on the spot, Hushai has to come up with something that will topple the great counsellor's advice. Can you picture the situation Hushai is in? So number one, Ahithophel is this uh, renowned counsellor that Absalom and David trust, whose word is like the, the word of God. Number two, Absalom has already taken Ahithophel's advice because he took his advice and slept with his father's concubines. I mean, Absalom is already listening to Hithophel. And number three, Absalom knows that Hushai was once on David's side. 
So this is the situation Hushai is. I mean, he's a nobody, and he comes, and Absalom wants his advice, and on the spot, he has to try and undermine the great counselor's advice. So look at what Hushai says. Verse 7. The advice Hitophel has given is not good this time. Wow! Masterstroke. You see what he's saying? He's saying, yes, 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 Ahithophel, yes, his word is regarded like, you know, inquiring of, inquiring of the law, you know, his advice is as good as an angel coming and telling you directly from God. You know, most of the time, every other time, Ahithophel's advice is good, but this time, this time is not good. Now, do you know what that does? That just makes all of their hearers, like, you know, some of you, they're just, you know, moving forward, you're at the edge of your seats, like, what? This time? What about this time that is not good? So he's arousing that curiosity in his hearers in Absalom. And so they want to know, yeah, what, what about it this time that is not good? So what does Hushai say? He says, verse 8, he says to Absalom, you know your father and his mighty men. You see what Hushai does here? When he says to Absalom, you know, he's involving Absalom in the discussion. He's involving Absalom in the advice, which was something that Ahithophel did not do. Ahithophel simply went, I, 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 I will do this, I, I, I will do this. And then Absalom must have been thinking, what about me, me, me? But Hushai, he goes, you know, you wise and knowledgeable king, you know your father and his mighty men, you know that they are fighters and as fierce as a wild bear robbed of her cubs. You know that your father is an experienced fighter, that he will not spend the night with the troops. Even now, he is hidden in a cave or some other place. Now what? Is Hushai telling Absalom about David? Hushai is reminding Absalom all the stories that Absalom as a child he used to hear about his, his father David, all his exploits, all his victories at war, how he managed to escape Saul, you know, hiding in a cave, how even with a small band of men he could defeat Saul's army, how he led Israel to victory over the Philistines. He's painting reminding Absalom, that picture of the great warrior David. And this picture is meant to give Absalom pause, that it is wiser not to rush after him. The whole plan of Hushai is to delay, to cause a delay which was exactly what David needed. To escape, to consolidate. And so Hushai paints that picture of the warrior David. And then instead of rushing after David immediately, the advice of Hushai, uh, there in your outline, is look before you leap. Look before you leap. Prepare first. Consider everything properly. Be prepared and then go for him. 
And so the hinge of Hushai's advice is there in verse 11. So don't go after him immediately because he's such a, a brave and experienced fighter. He's hiding. He can do guerrilla warfare on you. So instead, verse 11, Hushai advises Absalom, Let all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, as numerous as the sand on the seashore, be gathered to you with you yourself leading them into battle. So first thing he does is he paints that fierce picture of David. And then the second thing he does is he paints a picture of Absalom blowing the horn. And then all the men from Dan to Beersheba, from north to south, his, the people coming after him, following, following Absalom, as Absalom rides on their horse, leading the people to chase David. See the picture he's painting? He's stroking Absalom. Ah, instead of Ahithophel doing everything and getting the glory, you, Absalom, you will blow the horn and the people will come to you from north to south. You will lead the great army of Israel. You will be the one that will go after David and get the victory. And ah, Absalom, he likes that flattery. He likes the picture that Hushai is painting. And then Hushai continues. You will chase him. And you will fall on him as dew settles on the ground. It will, it will, it will be, you know, it won't just be, you know, a, an army targeting one man. No, it will be a mighty army coming on them. And they won't know what hit them. And then verse 13, he says, If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city. And we will drag it down to the valley until not so much as a pebble is left. So yes, even if David flees and he hides in some city, oh, that mighty army of Israel that you command, they will go and, and it will attach ropes, you know, first to uh, the, the cornerstone, then to you know, another rock, and we will pull and one by one, you know, the, the rocks uh, will be pulled down until David is exposed. And Absalom, he likes that picture. You know, commanding the army, exposing David until David is left, until the, David has no other option but to be captured and killed by Absalom. One block by one block until victory is his. So what happens? Now at this point in the, in the story, Hushai is dismissed. And Hushai does not know whether his advice will be taken or Absalom will go with the great counsellor Ahithophel's advice. But as readers of the story, we are given an insight into what God is doing. Verse 14, we are told, Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the advice of Hushai the archive is better than that of Ahithophel. How did this happen? Because the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. Do you see the theme of reversal happening? Reversal in so many ways. The great counsellor, whose advice is like the word of God, being frustrated by the advice of a nobody 
Hushai, the archive. Who is that? And all this because God has determined to bring Absalom down. Absalom, who now is occupying the palace, who has uh, crowned himself king, he will be brought down. And this is beginning of the return of David up. Because of David's sin, he had been brought down, but now in God's plan and purpose, David will begin to be brought up again. So as readers, we are given this insight. But Hushai and the rest of the people, they have no idea what Absalom is going to do. So in verse 15, Hushai tells Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Ahithophel has given this advice, but I, I've given this advice. Now quickly, send message to David. And so what follows is uh, a plan to get word to David. So that David can learn of Ahithophel's uh, advice, be prepared, and quickly run across to the Jordan. And what follows in uh, verse 17 is how that word gets to David. Because Absalom's men sees the messengers going to David. But you see God's hand of sovereignty protecting the messengers so that they are able to safely bring the message to David. And so in verse 22, David gets the message, and David and all the people with him, they set out and they cross over into the Jordan. So by daybreak, no one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. Now why is it that David is crossing the Jordan, going to the other side? Of course, he wants to put as much distance between himself and Absalom, But there is another reason why he's going across to the Jordan, which we will see in the next chapter, because David is severely outnumbered. He wants to go across into the Jordan because he wants to make use of the forest there. We will find out in the next chapter that uh, in using uh, even that small army of David to defeat uh, Absalom's great army, the Lord used the forest. The forest which um, David knew about because of his running away from Saul and fighting the Philistines. The forest which even today is treacherous, hazardous and impenetrable. So David has a plan to use even that uh, in his fight against Absalom. Now what happens in verse 24 to 29 is uh, all these men with funny names come to David. Uh, you know, well done, Janice, for pronouncing them uh, fairly decently. Now, a lot could be said about who these people are, but these are unlikely people. Unlikely people who have come and they have provided for David. Providing for David the food and supplies that he and his men desperately need. Now what we are meant to see from all of this is God's hand. God's hand not only of answering David's prayer, of frustrating the advice of Hitophel, but even causing the messengers to be protected, causing them to safely convey the message to David. God's sovereign hand, not only of doing that, but also providing through unlikely sources the provisions that David and his troops need. 
And then there, right in the middle of all this, in verse 23, we are told that Ahithophel, when he saw that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey, he set up for his house in his hometown, he put his house in order, and then hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. Right there, smack in the middle, we are told about Ahithophel. Now why does the writer tell us this? And tell us this here. Yes, he may be wanting to just, you know, finish off the story, tell us what happened to Ahithophel, but I think he's doing more than that. He's showing that reverse, reversal trend. That a once great counselor, he has now gone down even to this point. And the going down of Ahithophel really signals the up of David. Because this is how God works. He brings the mighty and arrogant and the proud down. And he humbles the lowly, those who look to him. But I think there is another reason why we are told that Ahithophel ends his life this way. Now, Many people who have reflected on this part of scripture say that Ahithophel, this is the Old Testament Judas Iscariot. You know, the one who betrayed Jesus in the New Testament. Well, this is the Old Testament version of Judas Iscariot. Because both of them, they also, after betraying uh, their master, they ended their lives hanging themselves. So what are we to make of this story? David is betrayed, betrayed by his once trusted, confidant, counsellor. And there is a tradition that says when David heard the news of Ahithophel's betrayal, when David first found out that Ahithophel, his once trusted friend, had betrayed him, David penned the words written in Psalm 41. He says in verse 9, even my close friend, someone I trusted, the one who shared my bread has turned against me. So there's that tradition that says this is David. Uh, in knowing of Ahithophel's betrayal, he pens these words. But a thousand years later, Jesus, after Judas Iscariot, had gone off into the night to betray him. Jesus says to the rest of the disciples in John 13 verse 18, he says these same words. He says this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. The one who shared my bread has turned against me. You see, Jesus himself, he understands that his betrayal by Judas wasn't something that just happened in random. It was actually fulfilling scripture. That what happened to his ancestor David was now going to happen to him, which is now happening to him. So that what was written in scripture about great David's greater son would be fulfilled, would happen to him. That this Jesus would be betrayed. Because it was God's sovereign plan and purpose. 
Yes, for David to be betrayed, David to be brought low, for David to be raised up again. As a picture of great David's greater son, the one who was in very nature God, to be brought low even to the point of death on a cross, facing betrayal by his trusted friend. All scripture will be fulfilled about him. Because God's plan is that through the death of Jesus, life would come to God's people. This great king will be brought low so that God's people could have life. Now when I was doing my quiet time, I came across the passage that we read in our responsive reading in Psalm 33. And I was reading it, I was just struck that this psalm of David, he could well have written it as a reflection of all that has happened in how God had delivered him from the hand of Absalom. But as I was reading it, it is only because of what has happened to great David's greater son, of how God had brought him low, even to point of death on a cross so that God's purpose can be fulfilled for God's people so that those who trust in this king, the King Jesus, can be part of God's plan, be part of God's purposes, can be entered and now lay hold of God's promise so that what we read in Psalm 33 is not just David in looking back at how God had delivered him. Those of us who are now brought in because of our faith in the Lord Jesus, we can lay hold of the promises of this psalm. And that this psalm is also true for us. Uh, let me read it as we close. It's something that we can pray because of Jesus and know that it is true for us. The Lord foils the plans of the nations he thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling places he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of kings. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is on his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. May God help us. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. 
For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.